So excited today to be in this sub-series of the story, and our sub-series is called Better because these few chapters that we're reading uh, over the last week and up through next week are about the story about Jesus, and it's in the very beginning of the New Testament and just talking about how Jesus makes everything better, and so I'm excited that we're in that part of the Bible. Also, just want to thank you all for coming today. I know it's a holiday weekend, and it'd be easy to sleep in or do something else, and so thank you for spending time with us or watching online or listening to our podcast. We're just uh, super excited uh, that you're spending the holiday with us uh, as well. So we read chapter 23 of the story uh, for today. So I invite you to read chapter 24 for next week. And again, if you don't have a copy, uh, just we'll love to give you one as a gift out in the lobby on your way out. But before we dive in, let's see what we read this week. I have an in-law. His name is Wayne. Wayne's a really good guy. Uh, He's married, has two young children. He's in his mid-30s, and since his graduation from North Carolina State University about 10 years ago, he's been working really hard in the information technology industry. So he deals with computers and does all kinds of things that I have no clue or or understand, but I'm glad that people like that exist. And so uh, he's been working really hard to advance up the corporate ladder uh, within, you know, one company and then switching to another company, and, and this is not uncommon in the IT world, I'm told, and so he's been with several companies. Uh, But recently, he's kind of arrived. And again, you know, uh, after all these 10 years of hard work, uh, he's earned that. And so he was hired recently uh, by Intel. If you you have a computer, uh, then odds are something inside of your computer was made by Intel. They're a worldwide leader uh, in computer technology, that sort of thing. And so uh, he has arrived. He's in one of the top positions that he can be in in his industry. And so he got a big raise moved his family to a big city, bought a huge house. Uh, He's working with a team of people that love to do what they do. They're at the top of their game. They have great respect in their industry. Uh, Again, they're working for a a top-level company, uh, just doing really well. Uh, he's low man on the totem pole, and, uh, but he's still doing really well. But some of his colleagues on his team get bonuses at Christmas time of a million dollars plus. And so um, he's, he's, they've got it all from a world perspective, right? They, they have prestige. They have power and authority. They, they, they're relevant. They make our lives better with the products that they make. Uh, they're rewarded very well financially. Uh, and so pretty much... Everything that the American dream is, they're living. Everything that the American dream is, they're living. They're they're living what many would consider to be a rich life. They've got family. They've got friends. They've got colleagues. They're at the top of their industry. They're young. The whole world's ahead of them, making lots of money, living in big houses. Now, the challenging thing, and one of the things that was really hard for me to believe when Wayne was telling me about, you know, what his life is like now, and he's been there a little while, and, and he said, Kyle, you know, he said, honestly, I'm, I'm really kind of sad. I said, well, how are you sad? He says, well, when my team, you know, when, we, when we're not working and we're eating together or, or we're socializing together, he said, pretty much all of my other teammates are miserable. And they talk about how much they hate the job. They're not happy in their lives. And some of them are thinking about at the end of the year, once they get their bonus, about quitting. And they're already trying to line up their next job, you know, to make more and, and do something bigger and better. And he says, it's just miserable. And I don't know how long I'm going to be able to stick around here because of the attitude of the people that I work with. 
He said they never talk about God. They never talk about spirituality, issues of faith, or, or anything church-related. And he said, and he's a man of faith, and so that's kind of challenging for him. And so he's like, just the, the work environment, you know, I thought that I had arrived. I thought I'd gotten everything that I've been working for my entire life, and I get here, and, and it's completely the opposite. Now, I want to be really clear and careful in saying this does not represent all of Intel around the world uh, or all around the United States. It doesn't even represent the entire group of people in the office at the, at the one where Wayne works. It's, this is his limited experience of a handful of people that he works with every day, though, but yet it's still their real experience. They have everything from a worldly perspective to live a rich life, and it's not enough, and they're miserable. And so I was thinking about that. I've been thinking about that. And I'm thinking they have everything that many of us are striving to have for ourselves. Or if we're retired, everything that we want our children to have or our grandchildren to have. And and if several people have made it and they have everything that they could ever want in life and they're still miserable, what hope do you and I have? What hope do you and I have to have a great life? What hope do you and I have to, to have joy? What hope do you and I have to, to look forward to going to work? What, what hope do we have to, rich, to live a life that is rich, to live a, a life that is full when people in America right near us have everything that they could ever want and it's not enough? What hope is there for you and for me? And so that's what I'd like to explore with you today. And I'd like for you just to think about your own circumstance, where you are in your life, what you do, and, and the people that you, you do that with, and, and, and your daily life. And, and can you honestly say in your life, are, are you leading a life that brings you contentment? Are you, are you leading a life that brings you joy? Are you leading a life that brings you peace? Do you, are you excited to wake up in the morning? Now, realizing we all have bad days, and it's not going to be perfect, but... But, but can we say that we are living life to the full? Because that's what Jesus said. I come to give you life to the full. How many of us in our lives are leading life to the full? Or are we maybe like some of these colleagues of my, my family member, Wayne, who they've got a lot going for them, but it's just not enough. If I could only have a little more money or maybe a little more respect or maybe a little more responsibility, maybe a little more appreciation, a little more prestige, a little more power, are we content? Are we living life to the full? Are we wanting more in our lives? So let's explore that today. And let's do that by looking in the story of Jesus. Uh, because he teaches a, a great deal. And so last week, we were introduced to Jesus. He was born. We, we saw him as a child. We saw some of his early life. And, and this week, we read about the beginning of his ministry and how he goes out into the area uh, of Galilee and around Israel, and he, he heals people. He conducts miracles where he has power over nature. He teaches in some really cool new ways, and, and people are flocking to see him. And before all that starts, though, his cousin John is out in the wilderness and he's, he's preaching and he's kind of paving the way for Jesus. And, and Jesus comes to John and asks him to baptize him. And, and John reluctantly does so. I mean, why do you need to baptize somebody who's perfect, right? What sin are you going to wash away there? And, and so he baptizes Jesus. And then like this, this, this big voice from heaven comes and it's God. And, and God, right after the baptism says, this is my son and I am pleased with him. 
Right? So, so Jesus has this instant affirmation of faith from the heavenly father that, you know, he is God's son. He's God himself. God is proud of him. God loves him. Right. And so now he's ready to start his ministry and he's ready to go. Uh, but before he does that, God wants him to spend some time alone with with God, the father. And so that's where we pick up the story today. So we're going to be in the first book of the New Testament. It's called Matthew, and Matthew is a gospel. The first four books of the New Testament are the gospels. Gospel means the good news of Jesus. They talk about the birth and the life and the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're going to be in the very first one of them. So Jesus is in his early 30s. He's getting ready to do his ministry, uh, and uh, he's going to kick that off. He's been baptized. God the Father says, this is my son. I'm well pleased with him. Right? He's feeling good about himself, and now God says, I need you to spend some time alone with me to get you ready for what you're getting ready to go through. Okay, so that's where we pick up the story today, Matthew chapter 4. Let's start with verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, short sentence, but it's packed full of a lot of meaning. Okay, two major things going on here. The first is that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now Jesus is human. He's also God, uh, but it, it says here that he's led by the Spirit, right? We believe in one God who comes to us in three different ways. God the Father, God the Son Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit, who is that part of God that's with us now. And so, so when Jesus is going out, it's not what Jesus wants, as like a human being or a person like, you know, not not what Kyle wants or what you want. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. So from the very beginning, we know that Jesus is aligned with God. This is not about what Jesus the person wants. It's about what God wants for him. So Jesus walks with the Spirit. He's Spirit-led. So maybe another question to ask ourselves is, who leads us in our lives? When we make our day-to-day decisions, when we decide to, to get up in the morning, what we're going to do, or, or who's calling the shots? Are we calling the shots? Is someone in authority over us calling the shots? Are we letting the culture tell us how to live our lives? Are we letting the Holy Spirit lead us into our life? How do we start every day of our life? Jesus started every day of his life with the Holy Spirit leading him. And then it said that he was going into the wilderness, right? It's, imagine a desert with a bunch of rocky mountains and it's hot and there's dry. There's not much to drink. So Jesus is going out and he's going he's gonna to start out before he goes into his ministry to be tested by the devil. Okay, and so what this says is that the devil is real. It's not just some made up myth or story, right? That evil is personified and it's real, right? The Bible teaches the devil was an angel who kind of rebelled against God, wanted to kind of take over God in, in heaven, and he was cast out. And so now he's on the earth, he's, he's evil personified, and he messes in our lives. Okay, it's, if you don't believe in the devil, just turn on the news, read the newspaper, go on the internet, and you'll see a lot of evil in the world. The devil is alive and he's well, and he likes to stir stuff up. We're going to find out, though, that he, he's not very direct and confrontational. Usually he's slick, and he comes to us in ways that we don't understand it, and it's usually a soothing kind of way to manipulate and to twist us and to trick us. And we're going to see how he operates here when he's talking to Jesus. So Jesus is out in the wilderness, and he's going to be tempted uh, by the devil. So verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. Okay, so in the Bible, it says sometimes it's good for us to fast. What a fast is, it's an extended amount of time spent with God in prayer. And a lot of times a fast means that we abstain from something like eating so we can focus on God. Now, I would not encourage any of you to go 40 days and 40 nights without eating anything, okay? 
Jesus did that. I'm not asking you to do that. But we do believe in shorter fast where we, we, we take some time. You can still drink water. You can eat after sundown, all that kind of stuff. The, the point here is that Jesus spent an extended amount of time with God because God needed to get him ready for the ministry. God needed to get him ready for this battle with the devil. And at the end of those 40 days, Jesus was hungry. Jesus, the person, was very hungry. And so the devil knows this, and he's going to try to exploit that. So let's see what happens next. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So he's kind of appealing to Jesus' ego. If you're the Son of God, then you shouldn't be hungry. You deserve better than that. You're getting ready to do a ministry. You left heaven to earth, come to earth. You're a human being. The very least that you deserve is to eat, right? Why are you out here 40 days and 40 nights not eating? If you're the Son of God, then, then you should have something to eat. It's within your power to turn these stones into bread, right? Jesus, you can, you can conduct a miracle. But Jesus already knows he's the Son of God. He's the one who left heaven. He came to earth. God just announced to everybody who was around, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Right? Jesus doesn't need to kind of understand he's the son of God. He knows he's the son of God. But the devil's tricky. Right? You're the son of God. You, you deserve right? You deserve to eat something. Turn the, bread, the stone into bread and do it. Right? And here's another way that the devil is tricky. Is, is he takes things that are in and of themselves are pretty good things. And he twists them and he tries to lead us apart, right? Jesus can do miracles with food. We're going to see later that he's going to take a couple loaves of bread and some fish and he's going to use that and he's going to bless it. He's going to multiply it supernaturally and he's going to feed over 5,000 people, right? So it's okay for Jesus to, to do miracles when it comes to food, but not right now. Because God says, I need you in the wilderness. I need you to be alone with me. I need you to be in a time of fasting. Yeah, you're going to do miracles with food, but now is not one of them. And so the devil was trying to get him to do something that God didn't want him to do. You know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a good job and make a living and have a house for our family and and support our families, right? Those things are in of themselves are great. But if we begin to identify our soul life and our happiness based on circumstances like that, then, then we're twisting things and, and the things that we want become God instead of God himself. And the devil takes everyday things that are good for us and he twists them and, and corrupts them. And that's what he's trying to do with Jesus. So now Jesus is smart and he says this in verse 4. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is using a quote from the Old Testament in the book of Deuteronomy. And what happened in in the book of Deuteronomy was the people of Israel were also out in the rocky wilderness, a a little bit south of where Jesus was. And they were there longer than 40 days and 40 nights. They were there for 40 years. And there's no whole foods out in the middle rocky desert where they were in Egypt. And, And so God provided for them by sending down bread from heaven called manna. And, and so Jesus is recalling that. He says, you know what? God will take care of me. Thanks, but no thanks, Satan. I don't need you to take care of me. I trust God to take care of me. I know who I am. I know what God wants me to do. And I'm not going to mess it up by playing your game. So no, no thank you. So now the devil takes him for the next test. Then the devil took him to the holy city of Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. 
For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Okay, so the first temptation was a, a personal temptation. Jesus was personally hungry. Now the devil's going to appeal to more of a, a bigger issue. And what he does is he takes Jesus to Jerusalem which is the capital of the country of Israel. He takes them to the temple. This is like the national cathedral. This is where everybody in Israel has to come to worship. It's this huge, beautiful, big building. And the devil takes them on top of it. He's like 450 feet up in the air. He's like, if you're the son of God, prove it, right? Let's, let's put your dad to the test. How much does he really love you? If you're the son of God, it says in the Bible, in the book of Psalms in chapter 91, right? The devil's quoting scripture. He said, jump off. And the angels will come and they'll grab you and you won't even touch the ground with your foot. You can do that, Jesus. Let's prove who, who you are. Let's, let's prove how much God the Father loves you. Let's, let's put him to the test. right? And, and, so, and so Jesus answers this way. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. He's like, I don't have to do that, Satan. I could do that, right? Later in, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, if I want to, I could call down 12 legions of angels and they'd come and they would be with me. But Satan, I don't need to do that. I know God the Father loves me, right? He just said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, right? Satan was trying to manipulate him to say, put yourself in danger. Let's manipulate God. Like, let's make him prove that you love him. You know, I think sometimes I wonder if we don't do that ourselves. God, prove to me that you love me, right? Help me to get this job. Help me to get this grade, Lord. Help me to make the team. Help my spouse to feel better. God, if you love me, you need to prove this, God. Prove this to me. That's the, that's the way the devil's appealing to Jesus in this case. And, and, and those are all circumstances that we would want God to intervene. But Jesus says, you know, whether or not he would grab me and send down angels, I don't know. I don't care. I know God loves me. I don't need to test it. Do we believe that God loves us? Do we try to put God to the test? Right? Jesus says, don't, don't put the Lord to the test. Another thing that was going on here was, what if Jesus had jumped off the temple, the angels had swooped down like it said in the book of Psalms, and they picked him up and they grabbed him. What do you think the people of Israel who were there to worship and were watching, hey, there's a crazy guy up on the temple. Do you think he's going to jump? I don't know. Do you think he's going to jump? Let's watch and see. Right? He's jumping. Wow, here he goes. Right? What, what do you think those people would say? Wow, who is that? Those angels grabbed him? That's Jesus. He's, the, he's supposed to be the Messiah. He's supposed to be the Savior. Wow, that's awesome. right? Because in, in, in Jesus' day, the people were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for a leader to, to lead the, the country of Israel against the Romans who ruled them. And, and they thought that the Messiah was going to come from God and be a military leader and a political leader who would be like King David was a thousand years before Jesus was born. And so if they saw Jesus do that, they were like, Man, we're going to kick the Romans out of Israel, right? Jesus doesn't just have an army of, of soldiers. He's got an army of angels, man. We're with you, Jesus. We're, we are all about this, right? That wasn't the kind of Messiah Jesus was going to be. Jesus wasn't a military leader. He wasn't a political leader. He came to die on a cross 
to take all of our guilt and our shame and our brokenness and our separation from God and defeat it all when he comes back to life. And so he was going to pay a high price to get us back into a right relationship with God. And it wasn't about fighting with a war and military and angels and stuff like that. And so if Jesus had jumped off, then people would have totally misunderstood who he was and, and the Messiah that he was. He would have had fame. He would have been renowned. He'd have been popular. Right? But that wasn't the role that he was supposed to play. Jesus knew who he was. He knew what God had commanded him to do, and he was not going to let the devil mess it up right, with this promise. Right? So one more test from the devil. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament to answer Satan. The devil says, Look, I'll give you all all these kingdoms in the world. I'll give it to you. All you have to do is bow down before me. Right, and this is, this is going to be very tempting to Jesus because what's his mission? His mission is to, is to get all the nations in the world together back in a right relationship with God. Right? And so, so there's probably going through Jesus' mind, right? I can have control. I can bring all these people back together. I can, I can use this and, and bring them to God. And, and what the devil was doing was he was offering Jesus a shortcut. He was offering Jesus short, don't, don't worry about the cross, right? Just skip all that pain and that suffering. I, I can get everybody united under you, and it's all going to be good, right? So the devil is tempting him with this shortcut to, to circumvent the cross. But Jesus says, don't put the Lord to the test, right? We're not going to test the Heavenly Father. We, we can't do that. And so, you know, I, I'm wondering if, if the devil took you and me to the top of a mountain. You know, what, what would the devil tempt us with, right? I will, I will get you that promotion or I'll, I'll get you that raise. I'll get you uh, on the team. I'll, I'll make you a great artist. I'll, I'll make people revere you and respect you and the world will know who you are. Right? I, I will help you have health. I will give your family security. I, I, will, I will take care of the ailing person in your life right now who's hurting. You know, what, what would Satan fill in the blank? What, what is, what's the devil trying to, to twist in our lives right now? If, you know, I, I can just get you a little bit more of this, then you're going to be happy. I'll get you a little bit more of that, then, then you're going to be happy. Then, you know, we might be tempted to say, well, well Satan, just how hot is hell? I, you know, I, I might go for this. I, I think this might be worth the sacrifice, right? How does Satan come after us and, and try to trick us into doing something that, that sounds good, but it's twisted out of order and it can get us into a great deal of trouble, right? Because you see what's going on here? The devil is tempting Jesus in a lot of ways that, that we're tempted. He's appealing to his personal desires. Hey, you're hungry, man. You need to eat. He's appealing to his sense of ego, right? People need to know who you are and what kind of Messiah you are, and, and your, your story needs to be told. He's appealing to, to, to Jesus to be relevant, right? You came to help people. Let me help you help people, right? And uh, I can give you power. I can give you money. I, I can give you whatever you want. And so Jesus faces a personal test. He faces this, this national identity of who he's going to be. And then he faces the, the universal test that we all face. Who are we going to serve? Are we going to serve God? Or are we going to serve the things in the world that we think are going to make us happy, right? So the devil comes in and he says, I can give you a better life. 
It's a better life full of pleasure. It's a better life of getting what you want. I can get you more of this. I can get you more of that. How is it that the devil is trying to come in and, and to say this is what a rich life looks like? This is what a full life looks like. This is what life to the full looks like. Right? Let me just help you with this. All I need you to do is surrender yourself to me. Now, I'm guessing the devil doesn't use those words to us right, or talk directly to us, but I think... We feel that pull inside of our heart. If I only had this, I'd be happy. If I only had that, I would be happy. Or why don't I feel appreciated? Or why don't I feel respected? And, and so I think a lot of times we have a lot in our lives that, that we're living the dream, right? Kind of like the people that work at Intel. They have everything that American dream is all about, and it's not enough. Everything that the American dream is all about it's not enough because I think they've bought somewhere into Satan's lies that, that this is what life is. And if you have these things, then you're going to be happy. But we find out as soon as we get those things, they don't make us happy, right? Because life to the full is not based on our external circumstances. It's based more on our internal circumstances. How many of us are truly content with our lives right now? How many of Americans are truly content with our lives because we love God and we love each other, and we have joy and peace, no matter whether things are going well in our life or whether things are falling apart, right? That's what Jesus promises us, is life to the full, the fruit of the Spirit, like joy and peace, things that the world cannot rob us of that, that, that matter to us irregardless of the external circumstances. So Satan promises a different picture, right? So what? So what's the point? What's the big idea? So, so what does this mean in my life? You know, what's the point? What's Jesus trying to teach us? And I think it's this. I think that Jesus simply offers us a better life. Satan offers us everything under the sun that will make us happy, and it doesn't make us happy. Jesus offers us a better life than that. Jesus offers us a life full of joy. Jesus offers us a life full of peace. Jesus offers us a life full of meaning. Jesus offers us a life of right relationship with God and with other people. Right? Jesus offers those things. And, and, and we can have those whether we're sweeping the floor or we're the CEO of a multinational company, whether we're making $5 an hour or we're making $20,000 an hour. We can have life to the full in Christ because it's not based on our external circumstances. It's based on our internal relationships with God and with each other. Brothers and sisters, are you living life to the full? Are you living this life to the full? Jesus came to give us a better life. Jesus offers us a better life. It's a spirit-led life. It's not what I want. It's not what you want. It's what God wants for us. Do you know that joy that I talk about? Do you know the peace that the Bible talks about? Are we living a spirit-led life, life to the full, an abundant life in Jesus Christ? Well, how do we do that? I want to give you four things that you can work on this week as we think about your life and finding contentment 
and joy and life to the full. And I've created an acronym. It's kind of cheesy, uh, but I hope it will allow you to remember it. It's called RITA, R-I-T-A. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take the RITA out of Margarita, and we're going to focus on RITA today, okay? So we're going to take Marga. We're not focusing on Marga. We're just focusing on RITA, and that's totally cheesy and corny, but I hope you remember that. We're taking RITA out of Margarita, and at the end of this, I want you to have your cameras out. You can take a picture of it. So that when you are by yourself and and you're feeling sorry for yourself and life's just not right and you're not content with your life, to pull this out and work through this four-step process. Or when you're facing some temptation in your life and and you're feeling that that pull of, hey, your life's not good enough, you you should get better, all that kind of stuff. You're facing temptation this week. Pull out Rita, get rid of Marga, and and let's let's do this. Okay, so the first R uh, is resist the devil. That's what Jesus did. Not once, not twice, but three times. He said, beat it. No, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Right? The devil's real. The devil has power. But the devil does not have power over us because God is with us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So resist the devil. The book of James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? So if you're feeling tempted in your life, if you're feeling that, that, that thought in your head that says you need this or you need that to be happy, all we have to do is say, devil, I resist you, beat it. Right In the name of Christ, be gone, and the devil flees. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians that there's no temptation that we face right now that we cannot stand up to because God is with us. So whatever temptation we're facing, we have the power to walk away from it and to have victory in God. So resist the devil. Okay? The next thing that we do is we resist the devil in the power of God, in this power of the Spirit of God. Remember, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Right? We must surrender our will to God's will. Say, God, I can't do it on my own. I've tried to live my life on my own. I've tried to live life to the full. It always leaves me wanting more. Lord, I need to be in the spirit of God. I need the Holy Spirit, right? Because the devil tries to tell us that God has abandoned us, right? God, you need to prove yourself. You don't love these people, right? Or the devil says, you don't need God. You can do it on your own. You don't need all this fancy God stuff. You make your own life, right? We say like Jesus, Lord, the way that I resist the devil is through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, today, this day, I want your spirit to be with me and help me every step of my day, right? right? It has to be led by the Spirit. Not led by what we want, but led by what God wants. Then it's through the guidance of the Word of God. Okay, through the guidance of the Word of God. There's two ways we experience the Word of God. The first way is we read the Bible. It's the written Word of God. Right? We've been spending a whole year doing that. And, and so we, we realize that the people in the Bible have the same issues that we have. We have different technology, different situations, but they struggled with greed and lust and power and fear and anxiety, just like we struggle with all those things. And God helped them and we can learn from them. So it's important for us to read the Bible and pray every day. The other way we experience the Word of God, Jesus is called the Word of God. And so the Bible is the small W, right? Jesus is the capital W. If we are in a loving, personal relationship with Jesus, He gives us power over temptation. He gives us power over the devil. He helps us realize what it is in life we should focus on to live life to the full. So 
It helps when we read the Bible. It helps when we pray. It helps when we're in small groups. It helps when we come to worship, right? We are encountering the Holy Spirit together. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, right? That's the kind of stuff that helps us. And finally, we do all of this, right, to accomplish the will of the Father. That's the A in Rita, to accomplish the will of the Father, right? So if if you've noticed... I've gone through basically the Trinity. We resist the devil through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus the Son, and we do this to please the Father of God, right? So Rita, take the Rita out of Margarita. Take a picture of it if you want to. But if, if, you, if you just want to remember one thing, one thing is, God, show me what you want for me today. In this, in this circumstance, what is it, God, you would have me do? Right? That's the way to live life to the full. Jesus knew who he was, he knew what God wanted him to do, and he did it, right? That's where life to the full comes from. It's a relationship with God, it's a relationship with people. It's not about stuff, it's not about things. All that stuff's important, and we need things in our lives. But life to the full is an interior thing. It's an interior relationship with God, it's interior with with ourselves, and then it's lived externally with the people that we have in our lives, Right, so the one thing of Rita, taking Rita out of Margarita, right, to resist temptation, to live life to the full, God, in this circumstance, what do you want me to do? Right? And the way that we know that is through prayer and Bible study and talking to our small groups about it, coming to worship together. If we're doing all of that, then I think we're going to know what to do. And usually for me, I know what I need to do. It's just hard to do that and to trust God, but God helps move us forward. Let me give you just one example of what this really could look like in real life. And we're going to go back to those handful of people working in that one office of Intel, right? So they're getting million-dollar bonuses. They have huge houses. They have families. They have country club memberships. Uh, they are at the top of their industry. People want to be them. They work for the, one of the greatest companies in the world. They're making your life better. They're making my life better through computers. They have it all, and they are miserable. I wonder if we could sit down with them and ask them some questions. So, okay, so what happens if you go to the next company that's more popular? You make more money. You have more power. Do you really think you're going to be happier than you are now? Right? I don't believe that they will. Because they're not missing anything externally. Right? Maybe the question would be, why is it do you think that God puts you in this position? You have wealth, you have influence, you have reputation, you have a way to influence the entire world with your technology. Why do you think God puts you in this position? Maybe it's so you can use what the resources you've been given to help somebody, to bring God glory to make the world a better place more than just making a profit. So maybe the question is, what are my circumstances? What are the good things about my circumstances? God, why did you place me here? And and what can I use these resources for beyond making myself feel happy? How can I use my place, my position, my power, my resources to advance the kingdom of God? And I think if we ask that question with those folks and they took that seriously and they begin to think about how blessed they are with external circumstances, how internally it might change the world if they surrender to Jesus and use what they had to make this world a better place and to bring God glory. Now, how does that apply to you and how does it apply to me? What has God given you? Where are you? What are the good, great things that God's blessed you with and how are you using them to glorify God? Jesus came to offer us a better story. Take the Rita out of the Margarita 
and live a better story, right? Jesus came to give us a better life. He came to give us a better story, right? Jesus came to give us life to the full. Jesus came to give us a better life. I encourage you, live that life, receive Christ, and be blessed. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.